Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I want to share with you over the next few moments a message that's really about life in general. And when I think about life, and particularly the spiritual aspects of life, I can whittle it down to what I would suggest are, are the three spiritual courses of life, three spiritual courses of life that we can go through. You may recognize these as we develop our, our thoughts here this morning. You may recognize what I'm talking about from your own experiences. In Bereshit, Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapters 18 through 22, we had this week's parasha, this week's Torah portion, called Parashat Vayera. And within these chapters, again, from Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 18 through 22, if you had a chance to read it, you realize there were some not only interesting developments, plot lines, uh, themes, actions, but also some inspiring ones and some not so inspiring. Have you encountered things in life that really inspired you and then some other things, well, not so much. If you read this week's parasha, you realize that it covered some, I'll, I'll list for you some of the aspects of this week's portion. For example, it talked about the visitation of the Lord and, and to Malachim, to angels, to Abraham and Sarah. And it says that they came to Chomayom during the heat of the day they arrived. And if you remember what happened as Abraham greets them, offers hospitality, hospitality very conveniently, pushed all that off on Sarah, by the way, as far as preparing the food and everything. But he offers hospitality, and he and Sarah, and if you followed this week's parasha, you realize, or if you're familiar with the narrative, the story, you realize that we understand how Isaac got his name is mentioned in this week's parasha. We also learn shortly thereafter in this week's portion, we learn about two very famous cities, Sodom Amorah, Sodom and Gomorrah, two very famous cities whose names, even though they're basically non-existent places now or cities, whose names still persist and represent something all the way up to our generation. Because I know that if I ask you to give me an association of what comes to your mind when I say Sodom and Gomorrah, you're not going to say a big flowery area with lots of great food and all that. These two places become synonymous with things that we would, would consider not to be moral or right in the sight of the Lord. And Abraham is, finds himself in this situation because his nephew Lot, or Lot, his nephew lived there and chosen to live in Sodom and in that area. 
And Abraham finds himself in a situation when he's informed by the Lord that judgment is coming upon those places, coming speedily upon those places. He finds himself in a situation of interceding in behalf of those places and the people that live there. And it's some interesting math. How many of you like math, by the way? Any math? A couple of us. All right. How many of you like chocolate? Let me ask that one. All right. Now, why are there more hands up for chocolate than for math? But anyway, the math is interesting because Abraham said, if you find 30, if you find 40, if you find 10 righteous, will you spare these places? And there's a sort of a divine silence, a, a Shaket, the Sheket that's there. And, and, and judgment comes on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot is saved, delivered from there, delivered from that area. His wife comes out with him. That's another issue, by the way, which we're talking about. His wife comes out with him and also his daughters. And we learn in this week's parasha where the Moabites came from and where the Ammonites came from. If you don't know where they come from, read the parasha. It tells you very clearly. And when Abraham was welcoming the angels and the Lord to his tent area, there was a laughter scene coming from the tent when something was told to him. And what was told to him, if you're not familiar with the story, was that his wife, Sarah, was going to be with child the, uh, basically a year from that point. And as that's uttered, as that's said, suddenly coming from the wings, there's this ha, 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 this laughter. Now, I can't imitate it. Who knows what the laughter sounded like? But it was heard by the holy visitors. And that's how we get the name Isaac. <laughs> comes from the Hebrew word for laughter, and we learn in this week's power shot not only about Isaac's birth, but also his brit milah, his circumcision on the eighth day is discussed, and not too shortly after that's discussed, in fact, very shortly after in the text, we learn that there's strife between Sarah and Hagar, Sarah and Hagar, and also between Ishmael and Isaac, and their strife, and, and that, in a de facto way, that strife persists to this day with the people that have been connected to those two, Isaac and Ishmael. It persists to this day, and probably the crowning, the crowning event, one that recurs at Yom Torah, at Rosh Hashanah time, it's uh, the standard reading for the 10 days of awe, the beginning of the 10 days of awe, is Genesis Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 22, where we read about Akedat Yitzhak, the binding of Isaac. How many know that story, the binding of Isaac? Hopefully all of us. What a fascinating, fascinating that chapter is. So worthy of being repeated and looked at more than one time during the year. It's in this same chapter of Genesis chapter 22, the same chapter, chapter 22, that we learned that the blessing of God that had been given and pronounced over Avram, who becomes Abraham, that blessing is passed not to Ishmael, but to who? To Yitzhak. So it's Abraham and Isaac. The blessing is transferred. It's clear in the text, actually. You can see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where the Lord says to Avram, In your seed, kol goyeh ha'aretz, 
all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because shemata bekoli, because you have obeyed my voice. And that's really my topic for today. You have obeyed my voice. Yeah, I think we can say, and it's a sad description here this morning. I think we can say that hearing and obeying the voice or the word or the will of the Lord has remained an ongoing problem in Israel's history. Now, before we start casting aspersions that direction, how are we when it comes to obeying the voice and the will of the Lord? How do we do? That rhetorical question is an important question because so much of what Yeshua said uh, counts on us obeying, obeying the, the Lord, obeying his commandments, doing what he says, doing his will. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23, is a fascinating passage. When we think about how important it was for Israel to obey the voice of the Lord, to hear it and obey, and this, the term uh, Shema synonymously dependent on context, but usually means to hear and also to obey. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23, it says this, But this is what I commanded them, saying, Shimu bekoli vayita lechem leohim veatem tiyuli la'am which means obey, literally it means hear, hear, listen to my voice. And then there's this statement, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. It continues, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you. So not only does it say obey or hear, literally hear, shimu, my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. But then it says right afterwards in Yermiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 23 and 24, it says, and walk in all the ways that I commanded you, that it may be well with you. And then, unfortunately, there is verse 24. I was just reading Jeremiah 7, 23. Then there's verse 24, as Jeremiah, just before the great dispersion, the Babylonian dispersion, God raises up Jeremiah, the prophet. He's prophesying. He's thrown into the boar. He's thrown into the pit. He's, his words are not received well. He weeps over Jerusalem. He looks at what's happening. He realizes the word of the Lord is coming to pass, that Israel is going to be taken out to Babylon. Thankfully, he's told it'll be a 70-year period but they will be taken out. And he says in verse 24, yet, below Shamu, they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts. And they went backward. They went backward. And they did not go forward. They didn't listen. They end up going backward. Hebrew is lechor, velo lefanim. Through this passage and actually many others that we find in Nevi'im, in the prophets, as we read in the Torah, as we see in the Ketuvim, the writings, the Brit Hadashah, we deduce that the only way forward, the true way to go forward in life, and again, my topic here is the three courses of life that we can follow 
The only way to go forward, the truest measure of progress in our walk with the Lord is hearing and obeying, hearing and doing the will of the Lord. We can do many other things. I mean, we, we can be quite adept at doing our own will. <laughs> pretty good at it. How many of you know you can be pretty good at doing your own thing? You know, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. But Scripture seems to advocate and clearly advocate that the real progressive way in life, the way to go forward and not to go lechor as Jeremiah warned them and said to them in Jeremiah chapter 7, 24, is to be sure we hear the word of the Lord and to obey it, to go forward. And in that context, we can say that there are three spiritual courses a believer in Yeshua can uphold, even can choose. There's three different ones. I'll identify them this way for us this morning. You can ponder these ideas. The first one is the regressive way. The second one is the stagnant way, stagnancy. And the third way is the progressive way with the Lord. We can choose one of those three. In fact, we actually are choosing that every day. One aspect of that. So let's briefly consider each of these three different spiritual courses that a believer in Yeshua can follow. Number one is the regressive way. A regressive spiritual walk is a relationship with the Lord that continues to shrink. Shrink. It can shrink quickly or slowly, but the condition, the regressive condition is it's shrinking. It's shrinking. It's getting smaller. It's getting less. Now, I've never had the privilege to see how raisins are made, but I do know this, and correct me if I'm wrong, that at one point, those grapes were juicy, plump things, and by the time I get in my little bag of raisins, they have shriveled up. They're shriveled up. Do we want our spiritual walk to be shriveled up? I hope not. The regressive way in what Yermiahu, Jeremiah, was telling the children of Israel, you're not going forward, you're going achora, you're going to the backwards. And right after he said that, by the way, as I've already mentioned, dispersion comes. And they are literally going backwards all the way to Babylon. Dispersion comes. So when our spiritual walk is regressive, it's shrinking, however one wants to term it, we are losing or maybe we have already lost the momentum spiritually that we need for seeking God fervently. It's a very common type of spiritual walk right now, the shrinking one, the regressive one. When our walk is regressive, serving him is no longer our passion. Uh, I, I like to call it replacement theology. We are actively practicing replacement theology. And, and another definition of replacement theology, because we have replaced serving and honored our Messiah with something else. And we're shrinking. Our spiritual devotion shrinks. Gets less and less and less. It starts shrinking. This will show, by the way, in our daily devotion. 
We find ourselves, if we're in a regressive spiritual course in our life, we find ourselves, well, I don't need to read my Bible today. I did it yesterday. Or I did it last week. Why should I do today? We find ourselves, well, I don't really need to pray anymore. God knows my heart before I even ask. We find ourselves saying, well, I don't really need to share about Yeshua with anyone. I mean, it's all decided anyway, so why should I even be involved in the mix? Not to mention the fact is that Yeshua said, go into all the world and do what? Do your own will, do your own thing? No, go into all the world and preach the good news. Teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And he doesn't leave us that way. The verse then says, and lo, take notice, hine, I'm here, I am with you always, even to the other most parts of the earth. We make all kinds of excuses. If we're on a regressive course of spirituality, we make all kinds of excuses for ourselves. We make all kinds of excuses why we don't need to serve in the community. We make all kinds of excuses why our finances are not that important to the community, to the Lord, or to the service of the kingdom. We make all kinds of excuses. We find ways, and we can easily find reasons. It's not difficult. We can easily find reasons not to even attend congregational gatherings. I've been tempted for that for many years. Haven't you had that temptation before? Not to attend a meeting. I just resist it. But we find reasons, and we can come up with a, a doozies of reasons, dozens of them. Why? Well, I don't really need to be with the believers today. What happens in the regressive type of spiritual walk where once there was a growing fire, an ish, a glowing, a growing fire for the Lord, we find ourselves with barely an ember of devotion. We're barely there. After all, as I've mentioned a couple times already, it was Jeremiah 7.24 that says, we are going backward. You're going backwards. Lechor. Now, that's the first spiritual course, briefly, regressive. Now, here's the second one, second of three. A second spiritual course, I just call it stagnancy. Stagnancy, yes, that is a word. <laughs> We're stagnant. A stagnant spiritual walk is a walk in which we have become too satisfied with ourselves or too satisfied, or even apathetic towards the Lord and the things of the Lord. We're stagnated. We come to a place where we prefer the status quo of our spirit. Shall we do just barely enough? We pray a little bit. We may share the Lord once every blue moon. I don't know how often there are blue moons. We become satisfied. We become stagnant. There's no progression. There's no regression. There we are. The status quo is our status. And rather than pressing in to the high calling that we have in Messiah Yeshua, and friends, if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. 
You have a high calling in Messiah Yeshua. You are a privileged person if you know the Messiah. He has not called you to regressiveness. He's not called you to stagnancy. You have a high calling that needs to be pressed into. And it takes some effort on your part, some sacrifice on your part. But you have a high calling. No one's exempt from that because many are called. Very few actually choose to follow, but many are called. We can adapt an attitude or adopt an attitude in our life where, where we do this. It's called subsistence spirituality. Let me say that again. Subsistence spirituality, where we do just the bare minimum to survive spiritually. Just barely. Subsistent spirituality. That attitude sounds something like this. Well, I'll do that just what I need to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Just what I need to do to survive. And if you are walking in a spiritual cause of stagnancy, that's the course you're taking in your life. You settle into a place in your spiritual walk, which is, in your estimation, it's perfectly fine for you in your estimation. Even though there may be deep in your heart a yearning for more to go forward spiritually. But you settle for stagnancy. I'm barely doing it. Subsistent spirituality. But I'm okay. You know, I'm all right. That kind of an attitude. And that may suit your purpose in life, but I promise you that type of spiritual subsistence does not really suit the high calling of God that's on your life. There's not a match there. You may even know that you need to grow in the Ruach, to grow in spiritual things, but we come to a place where we actually begin to prefer the complacency, the, the apathetic approach. Because it involves no special effort on our part. We're subsisting. No special effort. I think there's a tremendous passage that talks about this in the Brit Hadashah. It's in Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. I know your works, Yeshua says. I know your works. And you know that if you didn't know this sentence, you could wonder what's going to come afterwards. But it says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm... And neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Wow. How many of you think that's a strong statement? I actually changed the wording on that. <laughs> I will spew you out of my mouth. You know what the word should be, spew. And verse 17 is very indicative. It says, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And how good of the Lord that when we are down, he doesn't abandon us. He extends his hand. Has he ever extended his hand to you when you're in the deepest, darkest place? 
when you seem to be in your most greatest place of desperation, your greatest place of desperation, you have a Messiah who loves you, who doesn't forsake you, who reaches down in his sense, if I could say it in human terms, he humbles himself to help you be lifted up. Verse 18, Revelation 3. We want some counsel from the Lord. Do we want counsel from the Lord? Here's what it says. He says, I counsel you. One of his prophetic name is Tele Yoetz. Wonderful. Yoetz means a counselor. I counsel you to buy from who? From the world? No. Where do you get this? To buy from me, Yeshua says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. And I counsel you to buy white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And verse 19 is actually, I believe, a very encouraging word for believers in Messiah. As many as I love. Does he love you today? Let me tell you, yes. As many as I love. You might say, well, Rabbi Michael, how can you say that he loves me? I can assure you because of what happened on the tree, the etz, the execution stake, the cross that he gave his life for you because he loves you and considers you valuable and important, you individually. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And here's the solution for stagnancy. Therefore, do what? Be zealous and turn, repent. That leads me to the third spiritual course. I think stagnancy is a pretty rough one, in my opinion. So is regression. So let's talk about this third one. The third spiritual course that a person can take is the progressive course. The progressive course. This is the course in which pursuing the Lord and the things of the Lord, they're really of top-shelf importance to you. We use the term paramount to you. Very important to you. And deep inside of you, you want to know the Lord. You want to be near to the Lord. You want to be close to the Lord. You want to grow in the Lord. You have that just deeply inside of you. And you want to know him more than you know him now. You want to grow in the true knowledge of our Messiah. And you're convinced that seeking the Lord will incur blessing not only upon you, but you realize that if you'll seek the Lord and do what the Lord says, others will be blessed too because with obedience there's a continuing, a crescendoing impact of good. Maybe Hosea chapter 6 fits you well if you're living according to the third course third spiritual course, a progressive course. Hosea 6.3 says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge, knowing the Lord. You can recall in Philippians how Rav Shaul says basically the same thing, that I may know you. 
the power of your resurrection, and the fellowship of your sufferings. Let us know, let us pursue, Hosea said. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. That's the progressive course of spirituality, pursuing the Lord, knowing the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 describes how Rachel advocates how important it is for those who would continue to press on with the Lord to recognize that it is God who's fully at work within you. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, notice obedience is important, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How this phrase changes if the attempt is to say, work out your own salvation with arrogance and self-will, it doesn't fit. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 is an important verse for all of us who are followers of Messiah Yeshua. For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you both to will and to do what? for his good pleasure. The moment we start living for ourselves, we begin to go ahora. We go farther backwards. A spiritually progressive person tries to hear and also to do the will, the word of God. This reminds me of a brief incident that happened with Yeshua. It's only mentioned, I believe, in Luke's gospel, in the Besorah of Luke, in chapter 11, verse 27. This brief incident that's so rife with meaning and importance. Verse 27, Luke 11. And it happened as Yeshua spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd, a voice in the crowd, a woman's voice in the crowd, she raised her voice and she said to Yeshua, or she said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. Think about this. There's so much, so many different ways Yeshua could have responded to that. He could have said, yes, you're right, that's so true, which it actually was. But he says this in verse 28 of Luke chapter 11, but Yeshua said, more than that, and I hope we find our name in this verse, I hope your name's in this verse, I hope your, your name's written on this verse. More than that, blessed are those. Blessed is he. Blessed is she. Blessed is the older person. Blessed is the younger person. Blessed is the family. Blessed is the community. Blessed is the synagogue. Blessed is the church. Body of believers, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, do it. Those are blessed. And Yeshua consistently emphasized that his followers should be, can I use the term, they should be progressive in hearing and in doing the will, the word of God. 
and hearing and doing the will of the Lord should be part of our ongoing actions, miyom leyom, daily, every day, for every follower of Yeshua. Now, let me conclude with some thoughts here. This important message that Yeshua stated when the woman cried out, blessed is the womb that bore you, and he responded and said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep or do it. This important message resonates throughout the writings of the Berit Chalashah, throughout the writings of the Torah, throughout the writings of the Ketuvim, throughout the writing of the Nevi'im. And we find this passage in Yaakov in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. And it's one of the commandments of the new covenant, and it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then there's two lengthy English language words that appear after that. Deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then Yaakov James continues and describes in verse 23 a little more about this concept, this progressive walk that we need to have spiritually. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In verse 25, but he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. There's a progressive aspect to this. And continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Will you say that last phrase with me? This one will be blessed in what he does. Let's say it again, please. This one will be blessed in what he does. So how does that person become blessed in what he does or he or she does? It says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. Now, parashat vayera this week's Torah portion here in the Galut, in the dispersion. In the case of Lot and Lot's wife, there is a clear distinction, a clear difference in their personal approach to the destruction of Sodom. Lot's wife, if you read the parashah or you're familiar with the narrative, Lot's wife was initially moved to action. But ultimately, she did not fully obey what she was told to do. So initially, she moves out, but then she doesn't fully obey. Friends, we need to make sure we don't have that happening in our lives. We kind of know what's the right thing to do, and we initially go out into it, but then we don't follow through. And Lot, despite his shortcomings, and how many of you know that Lot had some shortcomings... He even mentions this in his spoken words that are recorded in Sefer Bereshit in Genesis chapter 19, I believe. He mentions how he had found grace and mercy from God because he was warned about the disaster that was coming, really the, the total destruction that was coming. He was warned, and Lot decides that he's going to keep pressing forward. 
Was he pressing forward because he was a perfect, blameless man in all his ways? No, he pressed forward because he realized that that was the way to go. And you and myself, we must keep pressing forward even in our shortcomings at time, knowing that that is the way we must go, is to press forward into the will and the word of God, not in the ways of this world. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 19, beginning with verse 23. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. He had pleaded to let him get all the way to Zoar before the destruction come. And God heard his plea and granted him that. So the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sidon, the Amorah, Sodom, and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Now, I know it's very convenient to say that it was well, a volcano and all that, but for the text seems to say from the Lord out of the heavens. To me, that's a different scenario than, than some volcano or something. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Amorah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground, and then there's this. But Lot's wife looked back, looked back behind him, and she became Netziv Melach. She became a pillar of salt. Friends, if we don't press forward, we will become stationary. We will become calcified. We become uh, saltified. I don't know what the term is. So here, here's some final thoughts. As I mentioned today, there are at least three main courses, spiritual courses that we can take in life. Again, to repeat the regressive approach, the stagnancy approach or the stagnant approach and the progressive approach to our spirituality, our walk with the Lord. And here's the question I want to leave you with. Which of these three courses are you following now? I can't answer for you, and you can't answer for me. But you're on one of those three courses. Which course will you choose for your future? What will you choose? Which course will you choose for your future for as many days as the Lord gives you? Will you set your face towards the Lord and follow him regardless? Not become a pillar of salt spiritually because of your constant looking back, but stepping forward, progressing in the Lord, having a progressive walk with him. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning for your mercy, your kindness, your compassion, your love, your grace, your truth, your care for your people. Thank you for your great wisdom. Thank you for creating the body of Messiah that we can be representatives of your Holy Son in this ever-darkening age. I pray, Lord, as we go forward from here into the Oneg, if we go forward into Hebrew class, if we go forward into the rest of this day and, and be able to come back this evening to hear 
our sister Oksana's testimony and more inspiration you've given her musically. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our lives. May your name alone be praised. May you be glorified. May you be exalted. Beshem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.